Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, in this episode, we're going to be looking at Psalm 16, and there are some fascinating things in this psalm, some messianic verses and prophecies as well. But before we get to those, I would like to just outline what I see as some of the basic sort of big picture themes in this psalm. Overall, it is a psalm that deals with our orientation or our heart attitude toward God and what that really should look like. And a lot of this is not necessarily prescriptive in that it's not so much that the psalm is telling us, hey, this is what you should do. It's more descriptive as we read through just what David is saying and thinking and praying. We sort of pick up that These are attitudes that we ought to have as well toward God. And so we would do well to learn, I think, from David and his attitude and his heart orientation toward God in this psalm. So in the first two verses, the the sort of overriding principle I see here is just David's utter dependence on God. He says, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. That, uh, that in God and, and essentially in God alone, he takes his refuge. There is a attitude in David where basically it's, it's God or nothing. If God doesn't show up for David, then that's it. He, he doesn't have a plan B. And that is a level of dependence on God that, again, I think we all would do well to, to imitate. And I don't want to necessarily get too far afield of what David intended to say here, but just this idea in verse 2 that I have no good apart from you, it reminded me of this idea that if you are into apologetics or philosophy at all, you've probably heard of the moral argument for God's existence. And I was just reminded of that as I read verse 2 here because it's this idea that ultimately if there is real good in the world, objective good and evil, then that means that there has to be a standard uh, of what is good and evil that exists outside of human beings. That if there is such a thing as a moral law, then that necessitates such a thing as a moral lawgiver. And and what David is saying here in verse 2 of that I have no good apart from you just reminded me of that whole argument that Really, outside of God himself, not only is God the greatest good that we could see or enjoy in our lives, but that nothing is truly good apart from God, that God is the ultimate standard of goodness, and anything that is good is because he has made it so. The next principle that we see in verses 3 through 5 is an attitude of complete loyalty toward God. David concludes in verse 5 that the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And so in the same way that David is dependent on God in this first couple verses here, in the next verses he sort of leans into that even more and just says, it's just you. It's only you. You are the only 
You're the only God that I could trust in or give my loyalty to. There is no one else. And while others have chosen to to cast their lots in with other so-called gods, I won't take part in that because I know that they aren't legitimate. And so there is only loyalty toward God in, in David's mind. Continuing on, we see an attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude in verse 6 and in verse 9 that David is reflecting on just how amazing his inheritance is from God. And he even says that, you know, my whole being rejoices. My my flesh also dwells secure. There is a security in being in the family of God, not just here on earth, but there is an eternal security and eternal inheritance for those who believe. And that is something that David, I think, is just reflecting on with a heart of thanks and gratitude toward God. And I think that is something that we can all uh, benefit from to just remind ourselves, you know, have I thanked God today for all that I have in Christ, all that Christ has afforded me and given me at his own expense and uh, only through grace? Is that something that I have expressed thankfulness toward God in and with. In verses 7 and 8, we also see an attitude of close fellowship with God. David writes, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And David understood that if God wasn't close at hand, then he would be lost. David did not, I think, trust his own intuition, his own feelings to to always give him the correct course of action. I think if nothing else, his experience with Bathsheba and Uriah would have taught him that. And so David is, is, is essentially, again, expressing dependence, but just in a different way that if he doesn't maintain close fellowship with the Lord, that the Lord is sort of his... North Star, that uh, it is only by our close fellowship with God that we are rightly oriented in our thinking, in our actions, in our character, and so on and so forth. And, and I think David understood that. Lastly, we see in verses 10 and 11 that David has an attitude toward God that God is his ultimate hope. And, and he says here in verse 10 that that. You will not let your Holy One see corruption, that you've made known to me the path of life, and uh, that essentially he's expressing hope that he will be with the Lord forever, that God will not abandon him to the grave and and basically just forget about him. Now, that is a hope that we share because Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, and that those who believe have a hope in a future resurrection where we will have bodies just like what Jesus had when he was uh, resurrected. But I want to focus on verse 10 for just a minute because it is a messianic verse in this psalm. In fact, you might recall hearing something along these lines of not letting your Holy One see corruption in the New Testament. And that is because there are two different people in the New Testament, in the early church, who pick up on this connection, this messianic prophecy found in Psalm 16 and apply it to Jesus. The first is Stephen in Acts chapter 2, 
verses 25 to about 32, if you want to get the context of what he's saying there. He is understanding that this applies to Jesus, that God treated Jesus this way. Jesus is ultimately the Holy One, and God did not let him see corruption as a way of securing uh, our eternal inheritance uh, through Jesus. And then Paul also makes this very same connection uh, with this psalm in Acts chapter 13, verses 32 through 37. It's just an interesting idea that we can see how not only does this sort of remind us of maybe this sounds like Jesus, but we're not the only ones if we're making that connection because clearly Stephen and Paul had that very same thought when they read this psalm as well. So it's really cool when we can see New Testament writers looking at the Old Testament and seeing things in it that we see as well. So I hope this psalm encourages you to express your thanksgiving toward God for all that he has done and to exercise more dependence and to pursue uh, greater fellowship with God today as we look forward to the hope that we have in Jesus because of what he has done for us on the cross. 